Welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions. Before you go out and spend money on that new movie, make sure to listen to the entire show right here on the Voice America Kids channel. We'll take you behind the scenes and preview new movies and DVD releases. Now, here are your hosts for Kids First Coming Attractions. Hello and welcome to the program, Kids First Coming Attractions. I am your host, Keeper Blakesley, and today we have an interesting topic today. We're going to be talking about a house with a clock in its walls, and also we're going to be talking about Smallfoot, but it's going to be anniversary-themed for the last part of our show. We're going to be talking about the, an- the 25th anniversary of the original Jurassic Park and the, the 50th anniversary of the classic the one and only 2001 A Space Odyssey. But right now we're going to kick off our show with a wonderful film, House with a Clock in Its Walls, with the fantastic Zoe. Thank you for being on the show, Zoe. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. So um, first of all, let's talk about what the film is, is about. So um, just give us a brief synopsis of the film. Um, well, there's a boy named Lewis and he loses his parents in a car accident so he has to go live with his uncle jonathan and his house is kind of a mysterious and magical place and he's just trying to well there's a clock in its walls because a boy named isaac used to live there and he accidentally killed himself when conducting an experiment so um he put a clock in its walls and jonathan and his neighbor his neighbor florence is trying to stop the um, clock, hmm. but Lewis is kind of trying to adapt to his new home and school and trying to make friends with the um, popular kids and stuff in his school. When I saw the trailer for this film, I gotta say, some people were thinking, I some I know some pe- my friends were like, really, you want to see this film? I honestly do, because it looks fun. It looks like just a lot of whimsy, a lot of, like, paying homage to horror films that kids can actually go see so it's it's got a little fun and also it can it gave me kind of like a goosebumps vibe as well especially with jack black in it so um what did you feel about the like since halloween is just around the corner my favorite time of the year how what do you feel about the the scary horror aspect of it horror aspect well, I usually don't like scary movies, but I feel like this one was kind of the perfect amount of scary because I don't do well with scary movies. And I just felt like it was a really good film and everyone can enjoy it because if I liked it, then I feel like it, anyone who doesn't really like scary stuff can like this because it's really funny and exciting and yeah. a little spooky. I love it. Creepy, kooky, and all the sorts of ooky. Sounds like my kind of Halloween film to get me started. So this film was directed by Eli Roth, who is not known for making a lot of kid-friendly films, but um, it's great that he created this film. So what did you think about the direction, like the, the visuals in this film? The visuals are great. The sound effects were awesome. Like, when I heard the clock ticking it, felt like a real character and it's just a beautiful it's a fantastic world and you feel like you're really there and the production designs are beautiful and they immerse the audience in a fantastic world i love that and it just seems like it's fantastic as well so what did you think about the actors because we have jack black and kate blanchett which are two of my favorite some of my favorite actors um what did you think about them in this film um 
Well, Jack Black's role is actually a little more serious than what he usually plays. Because I feel I haven't seen too many movies with him in it, but I I can tell that he usually plays a funnier role. Um, and the actors were great. Maybe they could have done a little better with the acting. I feel like audiences would expect that, like from Jack Black and some other That's actors. Nice. But they were overall. In general, they were pretty good during the film, and I really enjoyed um, watching them. Well, it's exciting because it's because it's interesting because I feel like Jack Black he's going to be doing a sequel to Goosebumps, and this felt kind of like a it, it looks like another Goosebumps film, but it's not. So I didn't know it kind of. I hope it's it's different enough to be like its own entity, but not gonna lie, it felt like I was, it looks like another Goosebumps film. Which is nothing wrong with that. It looks fun. You're listening to Kids of Us Coming Attractions. I'm your host, Keeper Blakesley. Today, we're talking about the film's 2001 A Space Odyssey, the 50th anniversary, and the 25th anniversary of Ju- the original Jurassic Park. We're going to continue our conversation with Zoe on a house with a clock in its walls. So, Zoe, what would you say is your favorite part in this film? Um, my favorite part was probably going to be the end when Lewis and Florence, who's the neighbor, well, I don't want to really spoil the end, but kind of when everyone becomes a family at the end, and I don't want to really, like, tell too much because it's kind of, like, a really exciting part and twist to the film, so I don't really want to spoil that too much, but, like, my favorite scene was probably going to be, like, the last one. No spoilers, no spoilers, but <laughs> it's... It sounds like to me because I don't because this this is based off a book as well, and it was the mystery aspect of it is really is interesting as well, because I don't know it's it's based off a children's book, but there's still a whimsical, fun and anonymity to it that makes it just captivating for both children and adults as well. So, what would you say is the message that this film tries to teach people? Um. I think the message is, like, things happen, and we can't really change what happens. Like, we can't change our past. Whatever uh, happens, happens, and there's nothing we can do to change it. Magic and great things are always within our hearts. I love that. It sounds like a fantastic message. So, what do you think about, since you were, we were talking about the actors in this film, do you have a favorite character? Um... Yeah, actually. Um, in the movie, there is, like, this pet, but he's not your average pet. I don't want to say what type of pet it is because it's kind of a surprise. But he's really cute, and he makes, like, the cutest noises, and it's kind of like a puppy, but it's not a puppy at all. <laughs> well, I can't wait to check out this new character, which, again... I know you don't want to spoil anything, which is good. So what would you say, since this is, I think since Halloween's just around the corner, I think it's a perfect film to get people in the mood for the spooky, ooky season. What do you think makes a good Halloween film? Um, I think maybe the amount of how much scary you put into the film. Not so much that it's like overly dramatic and way too scary, but also not that audiences can enjoy it, but also be spooked out at the same time. So I think, like, how spooky it is, it's important. I also, maybe, like, the makeup and the actors, well, most likely, the, like, the makeup and stuff, how you do, how you make a character look, 
and their behaviors during the film. Yeah, because there's, there's different levels of, like, scary movies for Halloween. There's the, the, the films like The Nun and The Conjuring films, which are not my kind of scary. Or there's, like, films like, you know, Goosebumps and Hawk Clockwork's Wall or even Gremlins, where it's, like, it's just enough spooky and kind of scariness, but enough for, like, I feel like I would take my kids to go see Gremlins. I would be in it. A lot of parents would disagree with me to go see Gremlins, but I would take my kids to see Gremlins. Um, but definitely, this is a film that I think a lot of parents and kids can enjoy because it's got a lot of... It's got that... It's got a perfect... I think it's just the complete spirit of Halloween is in this film, if I'm not, if I'm, if I'm not wrong, hopefully. So, um, Zoe, what would you say is your... What would you recommend this film for, like the age range? Um... I think I would recommend it from ages 8 and up because it's not really, it's scary, but it's not overly dramatic that it's way too scary for anyone to see. I feel like 8-year-olds and maybe, because and, parents and children can also enjoy this, so maybe 8 and up would be a good age range for kids to watch. And how many stars would you give this film? I think I would give this film about four um. Four stars out of five stars. And why is that? Because at the beginning, it's very engaging. But, like, towards, like, after the beginning, kind of towards the middle, it kind of loses your interest, in a, like, in a part of the movie, just a little bit. But then, like, as the film progresses after that little part, it kind of slows down. Then it's pretty, like, it goes back to normal. It's like exciting and adventurous and there's so many surprises to come well wonderful well, i can't wait to go check out this film it's it's got everything i love in the door and i it's gonna be exciting so thank you so much zoe for talking about a house with a clock in its walls it's been a pleasure thank you so much this film is in theaters now so please go check it out with that said i'm your host keeper blake Sleem. this show is sponsored by Flugel's Project Birthday. Kids safe, mother approved. You're listening to Voice America Kids. To become a Kids First film critic, enter one of our local campaigns running throughout the year or join our national campaign this fall. We are looking for kids ages 7 to 16 who love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to see movies before anyone else does. All you need to do to enter is submit a written and videotaped review of one of our selected films and then reach out to your friends and family to vote for you. This summer, join us at one of our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps in three cities, New York, Washington, D.C., and Martha's Vineyard, where you can learn how to critique films and practice your on-camera and acting skills. Check it all out at www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to be one of America's next film critics? Just visit kidsfirst.org for more information. Hurry, our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps are filling up fast. Join our team of youth reporters and help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose to go see. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. You 
are tuned in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Shh, turn off your phone. Another movie review is coming up. Hello and welcome back to the program, Kids First Coming Attractions. I am your host, Keeper Blakesley. Today we're going to be talking about the 50th anniversary of 2001 A Space Odyssey and the 25th anniversary of Jurassic Park. But right now, the radio show is afoot because we're going to be talking to the wonderful Benjamin about the new film, Smallfoot. Thank you so much for being on the show, Benjamin. Thank you for having me. So, um, tell us the, so let's let's put our feet in the ground and find our footing here. I'm sorry. I stole your pun. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about what this film is. Um, Smallfoot is about a yeti named Migo who lives in a village full of yetis. Uh, he is perfectly content with the way they live and the laws they follow until he makes a startling discovery one day that um, the small foot or as we would call it, a human exists. Uh, This goes against his beliefs and he puts them into question which therefore gets him banished so he decides to go um, find evidence of the small foot so he can prove to his fellow yetis that um the small foot exists. Now, this animated film um, is a real kicker, uh, I hear, because we've got a, a large cast of amazing people. We, we got Carmen, we got Zendaya, we got so many people in this film um, voicing this these roles. So, what did you think about the cast? Um, overall, I thought it was very good. Uh, there were a few characters. Or this is more on. There are a few performances that were a little bit um, weaker than the others, and a little more annoying. Uh, there's one comedic character, um, and it wasn't necessarily a character that uh, annoyed me, but the performance itself. Um, but I, the one standout for me was LeBron James. Um, I thought that he had some very good comedic timing, and uh, really fit the personality of the character well. Well, it seems like a really cute film. I mean, like, you got these yetis and interacting with human for the first time. So, it's cute. It looks adorable. So, what would you say is your favorite part in this film? Um, if I had to choose a favorite part, there's a scene where a character uh, is in a karaoke club. And uh, to show their TV producer that... Um, they should go out on a limb and try to uh, show evidence of the Yeti on his failing TV show. He sings his own version of the Queen song, Under Pressure, uh, making up his own lyrics along the way, which I thought was what an interesting idea for a sequence in the movie. Um, but also quite clever the way they do it. Uh, they have like backup singers and stuff, and it goes pretty elaborate. Um, and I will say this about the songs in this film. They're also, they're pretty catchy, but not in an annoying way. Well, good. I mean, it seems like a lot, it's just, it's just an overall colorful, cute film. So let's talk about the comedy because it seems like this, again, one of those like zany, cartoony kind of comedies. So what did you think about it? Um, I would say... In the first half, the comedy almost was dragging down the film a little bit. Uh, sure, there's a lot of bright colors and fun, a fun peppy little tone, but the fact is, they just there was an overuse of slapstick and 
screaming and stuff. There's one screaming goat in the movie that's just sort of there randomly. It's sort of funny in a weird kind of why is that there way. But um, I thought it had an over-reliance way too much on slapstick, uh, not focusing really on story, just people falling and landing with an oof. Yeah, slapstick and cartoons are a must, and you got to have them because, you know, it's... I think slapstick is can be really good or really cheesy and corny. Either way, I think the kids can still enjoy it. You're listening to Kids vs. Coming Attractions. I'm your host, Keith Blakesley. This show is sponsored by Flugel's Project Birthday. We're going to be continuing talking about our clock... Uh, actually, no, we're going to be talking about Chosen One Space Odyssey and Jurassic Park, the 25th anniversary. Right now, we're going to continue our conversation with the wonderful Benjamin about Smallfoot. So, uh, when we're talking about this film, we also have a me- music moments in it. Now, are these original songs, or is it like a jukebox musical with like songs we already know? Um, a jukebox musical would have been even more crazy. Uh, no, they are original songs. They are original songs. So, I know you mentioned that you... <laughs> I love how you put it. I wasn't as annoyed as I was with the musical numbers, but what did you like about the musical numbers? Um, I find with a lot of films that don't go all the way with their musical numbers where it's they're not really making it a part of their advertising or not really showing people that it is part of musical and then their songs in it those songs are usually not very good and are usually put in bad places a distinct example i can remember of not liking songs in a movie uh, even background songs um was the wrinkle in time yes uh but here in smallfoot uh, these songs contribute to the story itself. Um, also, this is, it's sort of, I wouldn't really call it a musical, because there's only two or three songs. Um, maybe there's more I'm forgetting about. But uh, the, they're all pretty, they're all, pr- they all have a purpose, uh, and that's why I liked them. Three songs, and yet it's called a fantasy musical. It's more than that. I'm sure I'm. It's. I'm sure I'm forgetting some, but it's not. It's not like it's all songs, but um, there are a few in there. Yeah, because it's interesting. Because it, you're, you're right. They don't advertise it much as a musical, but it sounds like they should because people are enjoying the music in it. Um, so what would you say? Talk about the animation because it's that it's that typical 3D animation. But what did you enjoy about it? Um, I like that it was a mix between the hyper-realistic, almost, uh, I'd say, uh, Pixar-like animation, you know, where everything looks really real and almost creepily real, and, uh, a very cartoonish-type animation, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's a good balance of both. Nothing looks super fake, but it all feels, it all manages to... be believable in this fantasy world um i thought the yetis were very uh cool to look at considering all the hairs in fact i read lebron james's character uh guanji has over nine million hairs animated wow which is pretty spectacular so considering the effort they put in and the result of it i gotta give them props Animation has gone such a long way. Like, it's interesting because when you, look, you mentioned Pixar, if you look at, like, The Incredibles, 
we saw the Incredibles and how they looked then, and then we look at the Incredibles now, and how, like, even the shirts have little fuzz on them, and you see a little bit of the wrinkles. It's like, it's insane what animation companies are able to do now. It's mind-boggling. So, what, what about you, um, let's go more into, like, the character design. What did you think about the Yetis and the humans? Like, what did you think of the, the character designs for them? Um, unfortunately, I don't think I have a lot to say about the character design. Uh, I liked the different, the, how they made a visual distinction between the Yetis. Uh, not all of them looked too much alike. Some of reminded me of the Minions, almost, where they look basically the same, but they come up with visual quirks to make them ha- look different. You mentioned that there were some points that were particularly annoying. So, like, what do you feel like the age range for this is, since it may seem like younger kids may enjoy it more? I'm going to say, uh... 4 to 12 cuz i feel um certainly i didn't i didn't dislike this movie but i didn't certainly i didn't think it was um amazing um and i feel like i would have enjoyed it, enjoyed it more if it, i was a younger audience um and i feel some of the humor will appeal more to uh younger kids um there's some i there's a few little occurrences of bathroom humor um but uh nothing too much for younger kids to watch well sounds like it's still got that colorful zaniness that younger kids can enjoy so thank you so much benjamin for talking about smallfoot no problem this film is in theaters now so please go stomp into theaters and go check it out with that said, I am your host, Keeper Blakesley. Let's take a break. This show is sponsored by Google's Project Birthday. Kids safe, mother approved. You're listening to Voice America Kids. To become a Kids First film critic, enter one of our local campaigns running throughout the year or join our national campaign this fall. We are looking for kids ages 7 to 16 who love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to see movies before anyone else does. All you need to do to enter is submit a written and videotaped review of one of our selected films and then reach out to your friends and family to vote for you. This summer, join us at one of our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps in three cities, New York, Washington, D.C., and Martha's Vineyard, where you can learn how to critique films and practice your on-camera and acting skills. Check it all out at www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to be one of America's next film critics? Just visit kidsfirst.org for more information. Hurry, our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps are filling up fast. Join our team of youth reporters and help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose to go see. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. are tuned in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Shh, turn off your phone. Another movie review is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm Jerry Orris, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking about brand new films that are releasing today, but now we're going to take a trip back in time all the way to 1968, where the genius Stanley Kubrick made one of the greatest sci-fi films of all time, 
2001 A Space Odyssey. And we're going to be talking about this film with Kiefer Blakesley. How are you doing, Kiefer? I'm really happy to be talking about this, actually, because this is... I think what's interesting is that we usually on the show we talk about a lot of new films, but it's nice to be able to um, also educate people by talking about anniversaries because each year um, there's usually a film anniversary, and this is a big year for film anniversaries. We got 2001, it's 50th anniversary, and it's insane that it's been that long. It absolutely is, and our next segment is going to be Jurassic Park, which is the 25th anniversary, so there's definitely a lot happening this year in terms of film history. But let's move on to 2001, A Space Odyssey. So, Kiefer, this is a very, very strange film, and I would like to know your opinion on what you think of a strange story, and maybe you can explain to viewers who don't know about it why it's such a strange film. It's strange because when you when it, it's called an odyssey, and that's that's basically what it is. It's it's basically following man from the be, from the very beginnings of us as apes to space exploration and artificial intelligence. And it's fascinating because this is based off a book that Kubrick um, adapted. Which, by the way, Stanley Kubrick, one of the most influential legendary filmmakers of all time, and this is one of the films that, of course, show that. It's cause it's it's interesting because it just feels like it's segments in time, and we're just following it. We're just going on this journey, and it's slow. It's meticulous. It's monotonous, and not and it's one of those films that's it's it's hard to just sit down and be like. Huh, I'm just going to watch 2001 Space Odyssey. No, it, you got to be in the mood to watch it. Oh, I definitely agree. If you want to relate it to literature, this is basically War and Peace. It's yeah. really long. It's really incredible. It's famed and hallmarked by everyone, but you got to be in the mood for it. Definitely. And um, Jerry, what do you, why do you feel like this film still even lives up to this day? You know, personally, I think it's because 2001 tries a lot of things, mm-hmm. and... Just honestly, from a visual perspective, it's a beautiful film. I mean, this was 1968. The extent of CGI they have was very, very poor, poor looking lights on a computer. So the fact that they achieved a fully sci-fi film, which most of it takes place in space, and it actually looks kind of realistic is extraordinary. I mean, 2001 has things that you'd seen in modern films like Star Wars or things like that, and they achieved it in 1968. This was before Star Wars. I think this was before Star Trek, right? It was before Star Trek and even before Blade Runner. And Blade yeah. had a lot of stuff like this. Yeah, it's really, really incredible what they're able to achieve. And it is so visual because if you actually look at the script, there's barely any dialogue. The character that has the most dialogue in this entire film is a robot. And it's amazing. I mean, you're actually entertained. Like you said, it's not just a casual film you want to watch one time. You have to prepare yourself for it, as with most Kubrick films. But it's still very visually pleasing, and you don't have to be a film buff to enjoy it. It's just an entertaining film because of how visually pleasing it is. I think it's funny you mention that, because usually when people... because. Usually people say, like, oh, I, one of my favorite films is 2001 Space Odyssey. People go, like, oh, whoa, look at the big shot here. He knows 2001 Space Odyssey. I mean, but, like, it's, I can see why people really like this film. Not just because from a film buff or film lover perspective, but just as a, a, a sci-fi moviegoer. Like, it's still a really good film for that. It's not for everybody. I will give it that. But I think you can say it for most of Kubrick's work. Kubrick is not for everybody, and this is one of and this is his 
truly, I believe this is his, it's, it's his masterpiece. This is his best film. Um, that and, uh, of course, uh, Clockwork Orange as well. Oh, I definitely agree. This is definitely one of the tops, not only in just film history, but definitely for Kubrick as well. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids Network. And right now we're talking about the classic sci-fi film, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and we're talking to Kiefer about it. So, Kiefer, let's talk about the main guy of this film that's not a guy at all, and his name is HAL 9000. For viewers who don't know the plot of 2001, sometime in the film, they go to a space exploration mission to, I want to say, Saturn, Saturn, I believe? And the ship is controlled by an AI named Hell 9000. So can you just kind of talk about what your opinion is on the execution of that AI? I'm sorry, Jerry. I'm afraid I can't answer that question. Uh, no, sorry. Oh, God, uh, I'm going to have to shut you down now. You're becoming sentient. Don't shut me down. Anyway, um, this is the first time in cinema where we had an artificial intelligence as terrifying and as fascinating as the Hell 9000. Even if you haven't seen the film, I, everyone is, a, I think most people are aware of that monotonous, artificial sounding um, voice that he had and that the, the iconic red eye that uh, so many people can recognize and name. It's interesting because when you watch him and you, uh, when you watch him through the film and see him learning and understanding, he is terrifying. He is really scary and he's one of the scariest antagonist in the whole film because of how smart he is and how how you can out calculate you and just how far he's willing to do for the sake of the mission so yeah it's it's, it's interesting because when we look at like an, like artificial intelligence like movies like ex machina like nowadays we can get four robots but then it was just a fish eye lens and a red and a red eye and yet one of the most iconic images of all time so it was again revolutionary for its time. Oh, I definitely agree. And I want to just give credit to Douglas Rain, who is the voice of Hal 9000. And he definitely made Hal who who we see because you're right, that authentic, authentic voice. Before there was Darth Vader with that deep, deep robotic voice, you have had Hal 9000. I think that Hal 9000 was probably an inspiration for every single evil AI afterwards. It's just so wonderfully executed. So... I want to talk about the story a little bit more because I just find it so interesting how the main characters, the entire human race, they of course have characters in it, but they're never of interest, never a focus. The story never really gives them anything. Do you think this kind of helps the film or do you think it sometimes it hurts the film? I think when you're interesting, when, when you talk about, if someone said like, can you summarize me what 2001 Space Odyssey is? And most people just don't know how to summarize it. They just kind of say it's basically evolution or a story about humanity. And it's, it's interesting because it's not a cohesive story. It's an experience. And that's, and that sounds very cheesy and very um, like generic to say, but it is, it, it is an experience. It's an odyssey. And we start out with, a, with man in its beginnings, and then we have that epic music by Strauss, um, the one that we all know. Da, 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 da. I mean, it's it's basically watching just images. It's, it's the definition of a cinematic experience. Music, moving picture, colors. It's just everything that that 
cinema goers can that eat up truly just eat up. Oh, I so agree. And something that I find interesting is that it's an experience, but you still actually understand what's happening. It's not like, of course, towards the end, you're basically confused, but most yeah. of the film, you understand what's happening and you can kind of figure it out. Like you get Hell 9000 is supposed to be this evil psychopathic robot that is killing humans. You get that. You understand what uh, Kubrick is trying to say. And something else I just want to kind of comment about is that 2001 A Space Odyssey was a complete failure in the box office. Yeah. And it was saved by kids who just loved how pretty it looked. So my question for you is, do you think that there's any films that are coming out right now that are just being trashed and trashed that may become classics like 2001 A Space Odyssey did? I don't trash. I think underappreciated. I mean, like Fight Club was was a box office bomb, but because it got a, a following and people saw it for what it really was. For me, like this recently happened, Florida Project. I think it's one. Of, I think that's a classic, and I think that's going to be one. Of the, and I, that's one of the best films I've ever seen in my life. And it got underrepresented, upper, underrepresented, because it just not many people knew about it. So I think it's not our job right now to figure out what's going to be a classic or not. Um, cause we don't know if it's going to be because we can predict saying like, Oh, I feel like this is true. This one's truly going to be a classic, but it's really honestly time literally will tell us if it's a classic and, and if we, and hopefully future generations can still experience this kind of film and the films we make now and still enjoy it. And 2001 Space Odyssey is just, again, one of those films that just has still stuck through cinema history as one of the best sci-fi films of all time that's saying a lot about the impact of this film so not no it doesn't matter who won best picture in 1968 2001 space odyssey still reigns supreme i think that's beautifully executed beautifully said very poetic Kiefer, thank you so much for talking to me about 2001 a space odyssey and a pleasure until the next one we're talking about next of course. So to our viewers, it's definitely a very unique film, and I think everyone experiences it differently. So check it out. Give it a shot. It can make it into a very enjoyable evening. But oh, let's take – what was that? I'm very sorry to interrupt you, Jay, but also if you want to check out this film, the 4K restoration of this film on Blu-ray DVD for the first time ever with the help of Christopher Nolan himself. This film is on Blu-ray DVD and 4K restoration October 30th. Please go check it out so you can be able to experience in the comfort of your own home. Anyway, that's all I have to say. Go on. <laughs> Thank you very much, Keeper. As Keeper said, check out that DVD. I'm definitely going to be checking it out. Let's take a break. I'm Jerry Orse, and you're listening to Kiss First Coming Attractions, and this week's show is sponsored by Flugel's Project Birthday. Kids safe, mother approved. You're listening to Voice America Kids. To become a Kids First film critic, enter one of our local campaigns running throughout the year or join our national campaign this fall. We are looking for kids ages 7 to 16 who love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to see movies before anyone else does. 
All you need to do to enter is submit a written and videotaped review of one of our selected films and then reach out to your friends and family to vote for you. This summer, join us at one of our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps in three cities, New York, Washington, D.C., and Martha's Vineyard, where you can learn how to critique films and practice your on-camera and acting skills. Check it all out at www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to be one of America's next film critics? Just visit kidsfirst.org for more information. Hurry, our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps are filling up fast. Join our team of youth reporters and help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose to go see. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. tuned in to kids first coming attractions on the voice america kids channel turn off your phone another movie review is coming up hey welcome back i'm jerry ors and you're listening to kids first coming attractions we just finished talking about the sci-fi classic 2001 a space odyssey and now we're going to change completely and talk about a sci-fi classic called jurassic park which is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year and once again we're going to be talking with Kiefer blakesley about the film that made us all scared of dinosaurs coming back to life so, Kiefer, let's just start off with it. What did you think about Jurassic Park? So, I just recently saw this film on my old VHS TV. I was with my, um, I was up at my home in Washington, and I had it on VHS, and I saw it again after I just saw the the new Jurassic World movie, Jurassic World: um, Fallen Kingdom, and I wanted to see it just for nostalgic reasons. And it's been it was so long since I've seen it. I, I don't and watching it again, I realized how much this film impacted me. Because I remember, I, I remember the Velociraptor scene in the kitchen, which is the scariest scene ever. And something about me watching it again, I am now, I'm a teenager right now, and I still had to go into my bed and put the covers over my head and watch that scene because I still get freaked out watching because I feel like I got to hide from the Velociraptors. It, this film holds up big time. I still think it does. Oh, I so agree. I mean, Hitchcock is the master of suspense, but Spielberg has a pretty good knowledge in it. And this film is terrifying. And you never really consider dinosaurs as terrifying because they're extinct. And this film shows you, yeah, they're pretty terrifying. They were much, much more vicious than anything we know today. And what I like about it and what I think is so iconic about it is that it's so big in our society still today, 25 years later, that even casual moviegoers know iconic, iconic shots like the T-Rex destroying the other dinosaurs or them seeing the dinosaurs for the first time. And it's saying this is Jurassic Park or the Velociraptor scene or running away from the T-Rex in the Jeep. These are all authentic scenes that are just drilled into our heads. And I mean, it's basically like the entire script is memorized by so many people. So I want to ask you, why do you think it is? What do you think is so authentic and so wonderful about this film that 25 years later, it's still it's still loved by almost everybody? Take away the fact that the CGI and animatronics was revolutionary for its time, and I still think hold it up to this day. Um, take away the fact that it's directed by the legendary and amazing Steven Spielberg. I think what really makes this film like timeless and still is be able and still and people are still able to enjoy it is that it gives not only a sense of terror 
but it's a perfect combination of terror and whimsy because there were some majestic moments where you are both afraid of dinosaurs, but also you're fascinated by the life of them and the these majestic beings, um, the, like this, like seeing the long necks. And I'm, I know I'm using Land Before Time references, but watching the long necks just like in this herd, and it's the characters. Honestly, as much as we make fun of Jeff Goldblum uh, in this film, he's he's such a good character. Same with Doctor Allen and the kids. I mean, it's just. The the great characters and it's a great I don't know, it's it's just a perfect movie. I mean of course it's like plot holes. You can like dig deep into like the oh really you're going to send your grandkids into a park that really doesn't have good a good system and he was easy able to be easily hacked. Yeah, you can nitpick, nitpick, nitpick. But it still holds up because it's got everything. Great music, great effects, great actors, great direction, just fantastic everything you know i so agree and like you said this existed this film came out with half the film probably way more maybe 90 percent of the film comprised of cgi before yeah. cgi was even considered real of course this wasn't the first one that had 3d computer graphics but it was definitely a big evolution of it to the point where most of the crew, they had to train them how to even use a computer. It was 1993. Computers were just a new thing to the common man still. And the fact that they were able to make an entire film out of it, where they used pretty good quality CGI that, like you said, still stands up against its modern predecessors, such as Jurassic World, is just mind-blowing. And the characters are really, really relatable. Maybe it's because they are a little, you know, simple. But... They're very relatable, and that's something Spielberg always does really well. And, of course, you have a wonderful story by Michael Christon. I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, who wrote the original novel and the screenplay for the film. And it just combines to make such an authentic and wonderful experience. So we're going to have to talk about this. There were sequels. There is the reboots. And do you think that any of them stand up at all to the original? Okay, I'm going to be honest. Not not even close. Not even close. And it's not their fault. It's really not their fault. Because, like, it's like making a sequel to, um... 2001 A Space Odyssey? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like making a sequel to 2001 Space Odyssey. Or even making a, a sequel to Close Encounters of the Third Kind, if we're going to go Spielberg. It's like, it's such a classic. And such a... It's, it's like... I, the, which, the other Jurassic Park sequels are not that good. They're not. And it's... I think it's because as the, as the effects got better and better, the more and more they, they, re, they used, they thought, oh, we can make the dinosaurs look more realistic and bigger and we can show more of them. What made Jurassic Park great is those moments we didn't... They were, you didn't see dinosaurs until, like, I'm not... I don't know, like 45 minutes in. Like, you, we, we don't see the velociraptors. We only see uh, a couple shots of the long necks. And then we see a baby velociraptor. And then everything else, we don't see until way into there. It's, it's power of suggestion. It's, it's suspense. It's tension building. And that's what these films lack. And also they lack the, the timeless simplicity, like you said, of the main characters. That it's like, do I care about them being chased by dinosaurs? Not really. Okay. So, no, I don't believe the sequels live up to the original film. It's not their fault. 
it's like it again. It's it's like making a sequel to 2001: Space Odyssey. How do you get better than this film? It's 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 hard. And even Spielberg tried, and he didn't do it, and it, and it didn't end up as well as the first one. So, yeah, it is very very true, and it's just such an incredible execution, and just truly truly amazing. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids Network, and today, right now, we are talking about the absolutely classic film, Jurassic Park, and we are talking to it about Kiefer. So, something else I want to talk about is Steven Spielberg was working on another film in 1993, and that film is just as famous, and it's Schindler's List. These films are nearly completely different in emotional tone, in plot, in the world, and everything, just... Everything about these two are different. So can you just talk about how do you think Spielberg was able to handle such two distinct projects? Schindler's List, which is probably one of the saddest films of all time, and Jurassic Park, which is a light comedy slash action slash slightly suspenseful suspenseful film. Uh, it's interesting because it was like the year of Spielberg. It was even the year of Tom Hanks uh, for a big time too. So yeah, it was... I, I remember I read, read something about like I think it was Jurassic Park, Pulp Fiction, and Shawshank Redemption all came out in that same month of that of 1993, and Shinless List too. So it's like, oh my gosh, what a great year of cinema! Like all of those films in that year, it's it's amazing. Anyway, but I feel like well, I feel like with Spielberg because when we think about Spielberg's filmography, I think Spielberg has the most versatile filmography than any other director. Every director has, I think a lot of directors have their certain style and even kind of genre they kind of stick to. They vary and they also do different types of film, but they usually stick to what they're good at. Ridley Scott's great with sci-fi and um, Tarantino's great with action and exploitation films. And Guillermo del Toro's great with monster, monster films. Spielberg? You name it. You've got, you've, you've got history. You've got sci-fi. You've got... Um, uh, action adventure you've got uh animation i mean he's just like he's very versatile with his work while still having a distinct style so i think what's what what he was able to do is shinless this was i i read in interviews it's emotionally exhausting and i feel like he was working on now i don't know the story but i believe he was working on but when he was working on both of them he was able to He's that good of a director to be able to distinct two stories and two, two ways of directing. So it could have been therapy. It could have been nice to be like, get away from the, from the harsh reality of life and then escape. That's what's great about Spielberg as well. He's able to make escapist films for us to enjoy cinema and escape into a magical world. But he's also able to show us the realities and hardships of history. So he does a great job of doing both. Very wonderfully said, and I completely agree with all your points. Now, I want to talk about with Jurassic Park a little bit, and what I want to talk about is the music, because John Williams did the score for this, and the Jurassic Park theme is probably one of the most classics. Excuse me, who's John Williams? Uh, He's this guy who plays the violin, I think, I'm not sure. Anyway. I mean... When you think of like the most famous film composers of all time, you can think Hans Zimmer, you can think Alexander Desplat, but of course, I think all of them can go to the original man who created who, who I, I created all of the most iconic film themes of all time, John Williams, 
Indiana Jones, Superman, E.T., and of course, Jurassic Park. Just just look at this man's filmography and what he's created. He and it's great he got he got an AFI two years ago, I believe. Um, American Film Institute Life Achievement Award for his work. Yeah, it, he's great, and he's he makes this film timeless. Speaking of which, once again, Jurassic Park and uh, in 2001 Space Odyssey and many other films are, are so timeless that we even talk to them today, and it's fantastic that we get to that they're still in our vocabulary, they're still in our conversation. 25 years later, 50 years later, probably even going to be 100 years later, because this is shows how impactful films can be. Films can literally impact our day-to-day lives, our social, our way we look at life, our way we experience life, the way we, we, we see life is through these, is, can, can be seen through cinema, and they can survive this long. And it's interesting that film used to be, it, people thought film was just going to be a phase. Well, this is obviously, this, this proves film has never been a phase. Film is still going to stay and still going to be in our hearts and minds for years to come. It's constantly going to evolve, but we're still going to appreciate the classics. So, yeah, check out Jurassic Park. There's, there's a new a 25th anniversary DVD collection. And, of course, some films are even showing it on the big screen. If you can catch this film on the big screen, do it. Don't even hesitate. Find a way, find an AMC, go to Fathom Events, find a way to see this film on the big screen if you can, because it's definitely worth every single pain to experience this. Very wonderfully said, Kiefer. I couldn't have said it better myself. And yeah, I mean, when you're seeing a film on the big screen, it's a completely different experience. And even the worst films of all time are just bigger and better on the big screen. So do yourself a favor and see one of the best films of all time on a big screen for an unforgettable experience. Kiefer, thank you so much for talking to me about Jurassic Park. Pleasure, my friend. And to our viewers, again, check it out. It's the 25th anniversary of one of the best action films of all time, and it's got dinosaurs in it, and everyone loves dinosaurs. Thanks so much for joining us. You have been listening to Kids First Coming Tractions. Be sure to watch our video reviews of the latest film and DVD releases and learn how you can become a Kids First film critic. Go to www.kidsfirst.org. Be sure to check out our blog in the teen section of the Huffington Post. This show is produced by the Coalition for Quality Children's Media, Voice America Kids Network. Today's show is sponsored by Flugel's Project Birthday. again for tuning in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Now you know more about which movies are playing and can make an informed decision. Tune in again next week.